Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Flyers Daily for Sunday, February 13th, as the Flyers go down yesterday by a final score of 4-2 against the Detroit Red Wings. Detroit wins both games of the home-and-home. Home. They got the win the other night here in Philadelphia, 6-3, to doubling up the Flyers. And then they get the win in Detroit, also doubling up the Flyers, this time by a final score of 4-2. to two. Flyers within a goal late, unable to get it tied and get it to the extra session. Detroit grabs all four points. And with those four points, they actually put themselves within five points now of the final playoff spot in Boston, uh, bleeding a little bit right now. So we'll see if they can get back in the mix. When you look at the Detroit team and you look at the games that they played against Detroit, it's kind of a model, if you will, on how to rebuild a team and how to integrate young players into the NHL. Now, what the heck do I mean by all that? Well, you look at, first of all, top line for that team with Dylan Larkin, and you look at Bertuzzi, Tyler Bertuzzi, two really good players that controlled a lot in these two games that the Flyers played against them. Matter of fact, both guys ended up on the score sheet multiple times and were a factor uh, on the ice and really did a good job in the offensive zone. Flyers having a hard time getting those guys under wraps really good players. And when you look at their numbers this season, it is indicative of players that are really good and good core players in, you know, that youngish area of their career, 25, 27 years old, you know, that age group. You look at Larkin, 49 points in 44 games, Bertuzzi, 42 points in 41 games. But the area where I really kind of focused at when I, when I was looking at this Detroit team a little bit closer, kind of taking that micro look, is you look at a guy like Lucas Raymond, Right winger taken fourth overall, um, 49 games played, 12 goals, 26 assists, 38 points. I look at Moritz Seider, the German, 49 games played, defenseman too, five goals, 27 assists, 32 points. And if you go down a little bit further, not having the career, at least yet, that many thought he would, Philip Zadina, 47 games played, he's got six goals, nine assists, 15 points. For where he was selected at six overall, He's been a little bit of a disappointment. Lucas Raymond was taken fourth overall, and Moritz Seider taken sixth overall as well. So top 10 draft picks, not all the way at the top of the draft, not one or two, but all three of those players. Zadina, drafted in the first round in 2018. Seider, drafted in the first round 2019. Lucas Raymond, drafted in the first round 2020. Three first round picks, those three years in a row all in their lineup, all contributing. Now, Raymond Insider, contributing to a high level. When you look at Zadina, not the level they had hoped for when he was selected sixth overall, but still in the lineup, playing consistent NHL games. They'll look to see if they can get him going a little bit more to fulfill some of that talent uh, that so many people thought he would uh, display at the NHL level. But you look at those three players, again, Three first-round picks three years in a row, 18, 19, and 20, all on the roster. Now, Steve Eiserman, great eye for talent. He's a guy that I, I think that when I look at general managers around the league, I don't know that there's a guy in the last 10, 15 years that's been able to identify what a player can be at the NHL level and finding those guys and how to put the pieces together because it's not just about acquiring talent. You have to find talent that fits your organizational identity or your DNA and then also can play with each other. 
And Steve Eisman, obviously, in Tampa, did a phenomenal job of that. Julian Brisebois pushed it over the goal line with uh, some of those kind of grit and some physicality ads that he made after the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning got knocked out in that first round, swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, then won back-to-back cups, and still obviously a really good team. But Steve Eiserman's fingerprints are all over it. Now, Victor Hedman, that's an obvious pick. That was a great pick at the top of the draft, second overall. And then you look at guys like Kucherov, though, not a top-of-the-draft guy. You look at Braden Point, who was selected in the third round, and they seem to find these guys repeatedly that are getting to the NHL level. So it's the combination of finding a guy and seeing that what he could portend to be as an NHL player and then getting him in your system after you draft him and developing him into that and then realizing it at the NHL level. That's what Steve Eiserman has done really well. And when you look at a team like Detroit, they may not be ready to make the playoffs yet, but when you have some pieces like Larkin, Bertuzzi, Raymond, Sider, Robbie Fabry's having a good season. You know, they have some other players as well. Vlad Nemestikov having a pretty good year. Uh, and they got to add to it as well. But this uh, this Detroit team uh, could be on the rise. And they have some really good pieces there to do it. Now, when you kind of juxtapose the Flyers and Detroit, obviously Detroit has been in this rebuild mode a lot longer than the Flyers. And we're a team that was worst in the NHL a couple years ago by light years. Didn't get any luck in the lottery, but by light years. And they drafted well as a result. And Ken Holland just left there a couple of years ago. And Steve Eiserman moved from Tampa and now is the general manager where he played his playing career. So when you juxtapose the two, you kind of look at guys like Larkin and Bertuzzi. And you kind of compare them to, you know, guys like Travis Konechny. And, you know, you look at what those players are doing for Detroit right now and kind of the inconsistency of some of the young players trying to take that next step in their development, guys like Konechny, Provorov, Sanheim, and others, that isn't consistent enough. Now, I don't watch Detroit under a microscope all season. I'm sure that Dylan Larkin has spells and gold droughts, and everybody does. And you look at Bertuzzi, he's a really good player. His shooting percentage is 22.3, which is incredibly high. Will that even out? Probably will. But You know, when you look at the Flyers, and after these two games against Detroit, it has me really thinking, because I've been thinking about Steve Eiserman and the job and the way he builds a team. You know, from the crease out, Vasilevsky down there in Tampa, Hedman, number one D-man, high-end talent up front, depth, all of those things. That's the model to not only win games in the regular season, but be a team that can do real damage in the playoffs. So when I was looking at the Flyers and kind of considering this equation and, you know, you lose back-to-back to to Detroit, not a great team, hard to beat a team twice in a row. Detroit came into Philadelphia 1-6-3, go back home, they win 4-2, and Flyers now have lost two straight games again, and they'll head to Pittsburgh on Tuesday. But it got me thinking, and I want to get interaction from people on this. It's got me thinking, okay, what is wrong? Answer that question. Three words for the Flyers. What is wrong? Now, I see all the social media stuff. Trade this guy, this guy stinks, that guy stinks. And, you know, we were sold a bill of goods about the prospects and the farm system and all that. I went back and did a bunch of research on the farm system. I tweeted some stuff out. You can see it at Jason Mert on Twitter. Um, But also, 
you know, just kind of digging through and looking back at the 2016 farm system rankings or the 2017, 2018, even this year, the midseason 2022 rankings. The Flyers right now, uh, according to some of the publications, um, uh, in the upper half, 12th in the NHL. Their previous ranking was 7. Their top five prospects listed here uh, on thehockeywriters.com is Emil Andre, Tyson Forster, Morgan Frost, Samu Tumala, and Cam York. And key additions was a guy like Tumala, and they talk about him, and that's where they have them ranked right now, at 12th in the NHL. And I know when we're in the middle of a season that is really been tough, it's easy to go, we have nothing down there, nothing's coming, blah, blah, blah. Tyson Forster, I think, was a good pick. He's out with an, a shoulder injury this year. But let's not forget that last year, you know, Tyson Forster was a guy that put up good numbers in the AHL where normally he wouldn't, he wouldn't be playing. Matter of fact, last year, 10 goals in 24 games for the Phantoms in the AHL. And uh, got a great shot, NHL-ready shot. And a guy that's got a big body, a big frame, should portend well as an NHL player. And then you look at, obviously, Cam York, who we've gotten a good look at. Uh, got injured in the game the other night with the Phantoms and didn't play last night. Had a great career at Michigan. Just had 20 points in 24 games on a stacked Michigan team the year prior. And then, obviously, Captain Team USA to gold at the World Juniors. And we've seen him in the NHL. He's got his first goal, couple assists. Um, but he's not full-time just yet. Chuck Fletcher mentioned that when his minutes kind of dwindled and moved to the right side on the third pair... Um, he'd like to get him basically more playing time, and you can accomplish that right now with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Um, so the Flyers, you know, when you look at it and you look at, you know, through those years, I go all the way back to 2016, and Corey Promen wrote a whole piece on the Flyers and had them ranked number two. Number five was another ranking back in 2016. So I know a lot of times, you know, we see it on social media as people that cover the team and you know, the beat writers see it as well, that we get blamed for overhyping the farm, the farm system and the prospects that were coming. Well, these are national publications. There's no skin in the game for the writer in their rankings. I mean, back in 2016, the top prospects for the Flyers, and this was uh, on thehockeywriters.com, um, Flyers at number five in these, in these rankings. And, you know, part of the equation is developing guys. Their top prospects at that time in 2016 Anthony Stolarz, Taylor Lear, German Rupsev, uh, Pascal Laberge, Oscar Lindblom, Travis Konechny, Nick Cousins, Jordan Wheel, Ivan Provorov, Sam Moran, Travis Sanheim, Mark Alt, Robert Haig, and Carter Hart. That had them ranked fifth, and their on-the-rise player was Travis Konechny, who was playing in the OHL at the time. And in 60 games played, he had 30 goals and 101 points. So, you know, you look at it and you go, did we overhype them? Did, were, were they not that good? Prospects in pro sports are great to have if you have good prospects. But it doesn't mean anything if a guy's a good prospect and doesn't develop into a good professional player. That can be the same in baseball. Basketball's a little different. And the NFL obviously is different too. They're not drafting kids in the NFL. They're drafting collegiate students that are anywhere between 21 and 25 years old. They're not kids. When when players are drafted in the NHL, they're kids. Like a lot of these guys aren't even shaving when they're drafted. So it's not an exact science. But then you see guys like Travis Konechny and those huge numbers that he had, 30 goals, 101 points in 60 games. 
that's what they're basing the rankings on and how they may portend in the NHL. So you look at it and go, did we overhype these guys? Did they just stop developing? Why did they stop developing? Was it an issue with the player and his desire, will, skill, all of those things, or some combination thereof? Was it the organization and the developmental staff? Was it coaching? Was it bad luck or injuries? There's a lot of variables that go in um, to players developing into professional players and good ones. And like I've said a thousand times, you know, development in the NHL is not a straight line. There's peaks and valleys. And we've seen our fair share of guys in Philadelphia that the Flyers drafted and got rid of too soon, whether that's Patrick Sharp, who ended up winning all those cups in Chicago, whether that's Justin Williams, another guy who won multiple cups. Uh, there's guys all over that you have to be careful when you're giving up on young players because there's peaks and valleys. Now you may go, hey, Travis Connecting's been inconsistent for two years. You know, he came back in the bubble in the 1920 season, didn't score a goal in those playoffs through two rounds. Then last year he was inconsistent, got his healthy scratched at one point, and this year he's been inconsistent. You may look at that and go, he stinks, he's done. And look, he has been inconsistent, and, he has, and he's a player that you're relying on to take the next step to help this team rebound and get better. And he has been inconsistent. But does he suck? No. Is he not performing up to the his capabilities and has his development hit some sort of roadblock? Absolutely. So it got me thinking, again, back to the three words, what is wrong with the Flyers? And I'm going to put this out on Twitter, and I want to get people's responses. Um, for tomorrow's episode with Bill Meltzer. But, I mean, I just wrote down a bunch of areas it could be. These are all the areas I see that the team needs to look at and have a very honest accounting of where they stand on all of these elements. So, I mean, the first thing I looked at was injuries. This team had nine players out of the lineup yesterday. They've had guys come back and get re-injured. You have to look at everything you have to look at, you know, the decision-making and getting players back on the ice. Are they getting re-injured more than other teams? Why is that if that is the case? How do you fix that? That needs to be looked at. Um, the lack of high-end talent. You know, Chuck Fletcher mentioned they need high-end talent. Danny Briere mentioned they need high-end talent. I did a whole episode on high-end talent. I think we all know part of the equation of what's wrong is, yeah, they need more high-end talent. How do you get it? That's another question. Um, you know, what's wrong with this team? Scoring. They have to work so hard to score goals. Don't score nearly enough goals off the rush. You need more scoring. They're a team that can defend. If you have a good team, you can defend, and you don't need a ton of scoring, but they just have to work so hard to score right now. Carter Hart has been in there battling his rear end off with very little scoring in front of him, very little run support, to use a pitcher uh, and his team's analogy. Do they need more snarl and grit, more size, more meanness? Absolutely, I think so. Do the pieces fit? That, I mean, we just talked about that with Iserman. When you're building a team, it's great to get talent, but do they fit? Can they play together? Can, they, can one guy raise the level of the guy next to him's game? 
Just having the talent's not good enough. They got to be able to fit. They got to be able to play together. They got to be able to complement each other to make you a better hockey team. So they got to look at that. Who fits and who doesn't? It's not necessarily who's bad and who's not, who's got a good attitude, who doesn't. That's part of it too. But do the pieces fit from a strategic system and hockey standpoint? Special teams been a problem. I mean, the power play has been unbelievably disappointing. The lack of progression in the young core, I just talked about it. We saw these guys, and we just went back and looked at some of the farm system rankings and why they were ranked so high. You know, there's been a lack of progression. A lot of guys have kind of hit a wall. Why is that? Got to figure that out. I think this is a big one. Organizational DNA. The team was the Broad Street Bullies for so long. And yeah, you can't be that anymore in the NHL. You can't go, we're just going to beat everybody up. And that doesn't work like that anymore. But they've overcorrected the steering wheel. And what I mean by that is by moving away from that identity, they pulled on the steering wheel too hard. And now they don't have any of it. And you need some of it. And they need some more intensity, more meanness, more fear. Rasmus Ristolainen has brought that. But I don't know that he'll be here beyond the, beyond the trade deadline. Identity is a part of that too. Organizational DNA, identity. What are you as an organization? I've used the example of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their organizational DNA and their organizational identity has never changed. They draft their players based on it. And if that player comes in and doesn't, doesn't meet the requirements as a professional for the organizational identity, they get rid of them. It doesn't matter how good you are. you got to fit. And last I checked, they've got six Super Bowls. Some contracts. There's some issues with contracts, whether it's James Van Riemsdyk, who's got one more year left at $7 million, whether that's Kevin Hayes, who's now had uh, three surgeries and a lot of term left and a, and a good chunk of money. You know, some people look at Sean Couturier's contract and say, that's, a, that's what's wrong. That's going to be a problem. Now, I will say that Sean Couturier, back surgery, never a good thing. It's not. You can't soften that. You can't say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. No, back surgeries. I mean, that's why Chuck Fletcher said they did everything they could to avoid it. You don't want to have that done. That said, you know, medical science now and surgeries and backs, they're able to do things they weren't able to do not that long ago. But he still had a back surgery. And he's going to start year one of his new deal coming up next year. Now, he just turned 29 not that long ago. And he signed the, he's finishing up his six-year, $26 million contract. He's at one of the highest value contracts in the NHL, 4.33 AAV. Just turned 29, new deal kicks in next year. It's an eight times $62 million deal, $7.75 million. He'll be 29 when it starts. He'll obviously be 37 when it ends. So you look at that and go, was that a mistake? Should they have traded him? Should they have traded him heading into this year? I mean, the guy won a Selkie two years ago. Got off to a great start before he was injured this year. 12 points in 10 games. And I, I get the impression from people that Couturier is not a star because he's not a flashy player. Never has been. Never will be. That's not the way he plays the game. 
He's a very, very good player. He's not a superstar. He, I would, I would probably classify him as high end talent. And when you got a guy that over the four seasons leading into this one, the 2017 18 season, 18 19, 19 20, and 2021, 20, he played in 276 games, 104 goals, 148 assists, 252 points, a plus 53. One of the best faceoff guys, probably the best faceoff guy in the NHL, over 20 minutes a night as a forward, 56.6% in the faceoffs, an elite penalty killer, a power play player, a guy who can do it all. And also, there's also a notion that he misses a ton of games. Well, over those four years, the first year, 17 18, 82 games, 76 points. The next year, he missed two games, 80 games, 76 points. The year after that, 1920, when the the season got cut short, Sean Couturier, 69 games played. There were 69 games played that year. He played all of them, 59 points. And then last year, did miss some time, had the bizarre injury where he had the the chest plate or the sternum injury that he got early on in the season. I think it was the second game of the season against the Penguins. Uh, But 45 games total, 41 points last year. And then this year was obviously hurt. Off to that good start where he had uh, 12 points in his first 10 games. This year he's played 29 games, 6 goals, 11 assists, 17 points. So to me, he's a player. You, you, I get it. Eight years left on his deal. That's a lot. It's a long time. Pro athletes playing till they're 37. And Sean Couturier is not the most fleet of foot skater. And you look at it and go, does he have a half a step to lose? Like Giroux, though, who's not the most fleet of foot skater either, they don't play a game that's predicated on speed and foot speed. They play a game that's predicated on positioning, a game that's predicated on hockey IQ. It's why Giroux is still as effective as he is at 34 years of age. Is he as fast as he was? Is he as fast now at 34 as he was when he was 26? Hell no. Not even close. Not as explosive. But because his mind works and his game is predicated on hockey IQ, vision, playmaking, and elite playmaking, that's why he's still able to be as effective as he is. Then you look at other players, whether it's like Milan Lucic, when he hits 30, he loses a half a step, but his game has all been predicated on power. He didn't have the half a step to lose. Some guys do, some guys don't. Different ways to skin the cat. So contracts, part of that thing they have to look at with what is wrong with this team. So all these different areas, and we're going to go through them with Bill Meltzer as well. you got to figure out what's wrong before you can figure out how to fix it. That much I know. All right, everybody. Uh, I went on long enough in this episode. If you have any comments on it, you can always drop me uh, a tweet at Jason Mert on Twitter, or you can DM me as well. I'd love to get people's thoughts on what is wrong with the Flyers. Have a great Sunday, everybody. Enjoy uh, the Super Bowl coming up tonight, and we'll talk to you Monday. Bill Meltzer on a brand new Flyers Daily.